Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast. Today, my guest is Gal Aga. He is the founder and CEO of Aligned. What we're going to be focusing on today, a number of areas. First of all, looking at yourself. Both Gal and I uh, believe fundamentally that if you don't work on yourself, then chances are you're going to be projecting out all sorts of the wrong signals to your customers and your peers and your bosses, which are likely to result in things that you didn't intend. And so how to build yourself and develop yourself. We're also going to look at some common mistakes that uh, salespeople and businesses make in terms of a failure to focus on the buyer's journey and aligning your sales journey with the buyer. The uh, overemphasis and obsession with top of the funnel automation workflow has distracted us. Um, And many people have been seduced into thinking that they have to uh, slavishly follow the playbook. The reality is your customers vary. The stakeholders differ. The rules change as you go, because we're all typically, most of the people uh, here listening, um, are selling into environments that are facing wicked, very messy, complex problems. And offering point solutions to complex, messy problems uh, like these, these wicked problems, inevitably just means that you're pushing symptoms around the business. So, Gal, welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Excellent. Would you mind introducing yourself with maybe 60 to 90 seconds on how you got here and a little bit of background on the origin of uh, how Aligned came about through your corporate career? Yeah, absolutely. Like a little bit about myself personally. So a 30 years old, married, plus two, born and raised in uh, Tel Aviv. Too many hobbies for a startup guy, photography, cycling, uh, guitar, <laughs> and personal development. No time for that, but that's still a passion. Professionally, I kind of so started my career and was fortunate to find my passion early on uh, in SaaS sales, in sales in general. So I've been in the sales game for over 16 years now. Very soon found enterprise sales, complex selling, the methodological selling a kind of the key thing that I was focusing on. Uh, so I started actually in telco, B2B field sales, hardcore, selling voice over IP solutions, learning things uh, the hard way. It was a great tool. Moved from there to manage a team and got exposed to leadership a little bit. And I think from there, really, that was kind of the point. I understood sales is something that I, I'm excited about and is working for me. And left and found my way into staff sales. So actually done the research and decided, I think, you know, 15 years ago that SaaS sales, inside sales, like that's the world that uh, I want to build myself. And from there, uh, really built my way up, self-learning, finding mentors, worked at the SciSense Center today uh, as a sales director, led a team there, uh, was VP sales, uh, VP global sales at site then became a strategic advisor to some companies, a CRO at Anagog, and from there really moved to founding Aligned. Okay, and what inspired the foundation of Aligned? Yeah, basically throughout throughout this journey all the time, I was so exposed initially into doing SaaS sales and a big part of back then was inside sales. And throughout my career, I always kind of fight it for doing for inside sales, not being inside sales, being just sales. And that uh, complex B2B sales 
can be done remotely, can be done hybrid, maybe just with a little bit of travel, but uh, like, and all the time I was looked at, looking at, uh, you know, other employers or even the board. Okay, he's in, in looking at, in, right, really, are you going to close six-figure deals in inside sales, using inside sales? And I think that was always kind of a, a thing that I was uh, fighting for and a personal passion that I believe that that could be done, that this is this is the new, this is the future of sales. And then COVID hit, right? And one, one day, right? Mm-hmm. We all remember that. And then in one day, like people stopped talking about inside sales. That became just remote. They started using the word remote sales, hybrid sales, and everyone started doing that. And what we've seen all, and what I've seen throughout, like while, while managing teams, being a VP sales and CRO, is that the team, um, teams were always struggling with managing the complexity of doing everything remotely, right? When you don't have the steak dinner to close using relationship, you need to be very heavy on methodology. So that's one thing. And the second thing is that we're not really adapting. There's no technology out there. All of the technology field is focused on analytics, lead generation tools, right? Workflow for sellers. Nothing is really focused on the buyer experience, okay? But the buyer experience is, is hard. Right, it's difficult. So many stakeholders involved, and uh, you all you probably seen. Do you know the Gartner, the Gartner oh, spaghetti, the spaghetti ball? Yeah, spaghetti ball process. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. What I'm seeing is a, a huge overemphasis on data and technology and top of the funnel. Then, because the CRM, uh, the first question when you put an opportunity in is expected close date. All the emphasis goes to the bottom of the funnel after that Um, and middle of the funnel where all the good stuff happens and really where I suspect Aligned aligned plays uh, very well is forgotten. And the net result is in most organizations, they have a glut in the middle of the funnel that's stuck, ghosted, they've been sent to Siberia or it's just, you know, there's been a freeze or something. Because they never really created, um, they weren't timely, they weren't relevant, they weren't valuable, and they certainly didn't align with uh, the buyer's journey because they were doing a sales motion when the buyer didn't even know they had a problem. They weren't ready for a sales conversation. So how do we stop leadership and management from driving that kind of behavior? Because I understand why they do it. They're habituated to do it, and they see everyone else doing it. But what are the questions that they should be asking so that maybe they can prove to their colleagues and their peers that actually we should try something different, maybe look into the medium to long-term pipeline and you know, treat our people like human beings. Yeah, absolutely. As you said, there's so much focus on, uh, on generating leads and on reporting and all of that, and everyone has that bloated pipeline with so many things stuck at uh, stage one or stage zero. I think that a big part of that is people follow uh, dogmas and you know and and they all look at the old methodologies you know band is something that still today like uh, so many companies they go and they the leaders are going to the new company and they're being bring their old playbook okay and copy pasting it from company to company to company but but Bant is brilliant internally. Yeah. It's it's fine to yeah. explain to my manager and my director where we are in the sale. But to put a customer through that, 
That's just selfish selling. Um, and it, it doesn't advance the customer's understanding or move them forward. So why would they align with you? Why, why would they ally or invite you in or worse still, refer you on where you can do more damage? Exactly. I think the key thing that uh, companies should do is to ask themselves, how do our customers today want to buy? Okay. What's the process that they're going through? How, where's their psychology? Okay. Throughout that process, how the world is changing. And then, and really every time that they go into, you know, as the year, the year, the time passes, or when you have, when you're a new VP or a new sales director, a new CRO, and you're going into your new company, uh, just don't copy paste the playbook. Okay. Think about things again, think about the market, the dynamics, and think about the buyer and how they should buy. I think that's like the key thing that companies should be asking themselves. Definitely. So as somebody who's been on the front lines and worked your way all the way up to being a VP of sales and now um, founding your own business, as you went through that journey, what did you wish your managers were able to do better? I think uh, it's to combine learning, okay? Yeah. I think I, I've seen two extremes, either only looking at, only learning, okay? Only looking at methodologies and what people do and do what people do, okay? Or just, uh, or a lot of inventing, okay? Inventing the wheel. So I, I've always had like that passion of how do, I, how do we combine learning and seeing and, and, and understanding like the most up-to-date methodologies and, and really being an educator, a big self-learner and applying that to the business. But at the same time, you know, raising question marks and challenging how should we execute and how things should adapt to the, how, how things should fit our business. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So for managers to be able to do that, what permission do they need to be able to uh, to have for themselves to decide and what permission do they need to be able to give to their salespeople so that they can behave appropriately and freely in the moment because the danger with a methodology or the danger with a tactic is that people will see the uh, the nail because all they have, have is a hammer so then they'll apply the dogma and i i've seen this happen you know in my days uh, with the franchise the number of times I did it myself, and uh, certainly clients uh, did, because I had to coach them how not to, um, where you'd use a technique, and often it would be scoring a point instead of advancing the customer's understanding. Or it was a way of helping us get an advantage instead of helping the customer move closer to their objective. Mm -hmm. And so the emphasis was in the wrong place because – we were selling selfishly, didn't understand how important it was that the buyer doesn't care about your quota. They don't care that your manager's kicking your ass. What they do care about is how do I not get fired? How, how do I get promoted? How do I make sure that I can keep food on the table and uh, put my kids through school? That's what they care about, not whether you can go to the Bahamas. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we shift management and leadership thinking um, uh -huh. so that we stop putting buyers under pressure 
to do things that aren't in their best interest and they don't really want to do. Maybe the timing's wrong, but I, I just don't understand why we have to keep propagating this sort of um, abuse of customers when mm-hmm. if we partnered with them, they'd tell us exactly how to buy, how, how they want to buy and, yeah. and what's yeah. missing and how to improve. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it starts with uh, with culture, with leadership, or the people that you're bringing on to these roles. The right people would look at their people, would look at, at at the reps and look at the team and what they need, and will think about the customer first. You know, Simon Sinek right talks about that all the time about uh, a you know people over profit, or the priority should be customer people and then uh, shareholders. So when you have the right people leading the team, then I think naturally they go more towards that direction. But isn't it the investors who are hiring the leadership and yeah. giving direction through the valuation metrics? Absolutely. But like I think that if you if the emphasis is on is on the people, then eventually the business takes care of itself. Okay, the profit takes care okay, takes care of itself. So if you focus on people and if you focus on the customers and how how to adapt to their needs, that that means that you're you're eventually generating the right the right motion for your business. Everything eventually should fall into place. I think that that focus first, everything else after that should follow. If I understand it correctly, what you've created is a war room kind of environment where mm-hmm. you can bring your team, technical, legal, management marketing, sales, product with the customer and their team, and if necessary, partners and even competitors. Because as we move into the world of ecosystems, uh, chances are you're going to have to play nicely with your biggest rivals because they're going to be really good at something that you're not, and you're going to be good at other stuff that they're not. And the customer wants the best solution for themselves, and they're going to tell you, play nicely, boys and girls. Because if you don't, you can both bugger off. So is that the kind of environment you've created within a line? Because if it is, I'm very excited. Yeah. Let me give you kind of a, a little bit of background. So basically, that's that's pretty much it. So a line is a customer-facing workspace, right, for B2B revenue teams and their buyers or their customers. So AEs, customer success, this is the new place for you to work together with customers and buyers, which helps simplify the buyer journey and provide a more organized, faster way for, for teams to hit their targets. Can you give me an example of someone yeah, who's done this? Essentially, instead of customers, so today when you're selling, when you're working with a customer, everything is going through email and customers are forced to juggle, okay, between multiple email threads. You have your champion looping in, stakeholders looping in, the CFO at the end, then going with few versions of a pitch deck, a few versions of proposals that are sitting in a in Google Drive or in his computer, right? So there's links and attachments and tools and so many things that a buyer goes through throughout the sales process to now go and build a business case and get a lot of people aligned, okay, on his or her side internally and the buying side. What Align does is bring sellers the ability to now organize all of these resources in one shared space that they just send to the hyperlink. The buyer can go into that space. They can comment, 
looping all of the stakeholders throughout the sales process to also enter that space. There's a mutual action plan built into that space, next steps and timeline management. And because everything is now digital, you have new, never before tracked insights around the buyer journey. Who opened what? Who did what? How much time did the CFO spend on reading the negotiation transcript that happens in the room? Right? So basically one place to manage the entire uh, deal. And what this does, it makes it easier for buyers to say yes, okay, to choose you. Make it easier for them to buy. It's empowering sellers to better orchestrate and manage the deal and uh, to sell smarter. That's basically it. Okay. So, again, I think it's important that people understand the difference between how your organization sees the buyer's journey and what the real buyer's journey looks like. Because I I think there's very often a huge disconnect, a temporal disconnect as well, because we think that our sales cycles are six to 12 months, whereas the buyer is making space for an idea that they may be looking at in about two, two and a half years. And the CFOs uh, said, look, we need to think about this strategic issue. So I want you to go out and just do some fact finding. That's not an opportunity yet. It could be if you are even remotely bothered to listen to your customer and you aligned with their timeframes. So give me some examples of um, how you've used this environment with your clients to help them, first of all, be David to Goliath, because I suspect there's, if you do this well, it should show that you can punch well above your weight. Yeah. And secondly, how you've been able to use this war room kind of environment to create a strategic partnership with key mobilizers and power figures within the buying accounts. Because to my mind, that seems yeah. to be the most logical reason to go for this kind of uh, solution, which incidentally I have been looking for for about 15 years, hoping this is it. <laughs> this is your audition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think that for us, the holy grail was to hear not that our that sellers love it, okay, but to hear buyer feedback. And we've recently had one of the companies, one of the AEs at uh, one of our customers closed the, the company's first $1 million deal, okay? And we saw, and we saw that on LinkedIn, we saw- What, what was their earlier average order value? So we know what typical baseline. The company, it's a it's a one fifty, I think, one hundred k. Okay, so about nine x. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, lovely. That, the first. Like and and we saw that on LinkedIn, and we reached out to her and then asked for the for the company's name and if it was if the deal was managing aligned, and then she told us about who the company is and we immediately recognized it because it's a company that very early on in its sales cycle. That AE sent us a screenshot of that company saying, well, like the champion saying, we're so excited about this, about this platform. It's amazing. We're going to loop everyone in. Okay. And we got another seller that was saying, selling to them, to that same company, coming to us as a lead. Okay. But they forced them to use it. So for me, that's that's like the dream to hear buyers saying, well, you've simplified my process. I love this environment. It helps me. Okay, that means that that AE right now 
is not just another AE. Is that company that, that was selling to them, okay, it's our customer, is not just another customer. It's not just another vendor. They're a partner. You immediately go from being a vendor to being a partner. The AE immediately positions themselves, okay, as, a, as, a, as an advisor. I'm here. I'm building everything for you in one space. You well, I'm going to challenge you on that because I, yeah. I, my, my pal, Charlie Green, wrote the book, The Trusted Advisor. I'm skating on very thin ice and I'm massively overweight. But I think we've gone beyond that when you become a trusted partner. It's a step above being a trusted advisor. An yeah. advisor whispers in your ear and guides, whereas a yeah. partner is in the trenches with you. You yeah. have shared scar tissue. You have shared common purpose. And that's a very different feeling. Certainly in my experience, the last you know, 10 years in particular, of really focusing on building my business and my practice through partnering and through ecosystems. I can't even begin to tell you what we're able to do and that even two years ago, I wouldn't be able to because of these partners. We now have the capacity within this small community of an enterprise. We can do 400 hours of research in one company inside of a month if we want to. Now, wow. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, that is, you know, I, I'm just listening to a series of books on the Mongols and the the ability to work in concert at speed in the heat of battle and knocking out 100 arrows in every six seconds, wow. one arrow every six seconds. I mean, can you imagine the discipline for all of that to be happening at once? And yeah. you've got 800,000 arrows loosed in under 10 minutes on 20,000 people. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's that kind of precision that we can bring. Now, what I'm really excited about is with this kind of solution, how do you manage to choreograph mm -hmm. uh, in such a way so that everyone is moving at a pace that they're comfortable with? There's always advancement, but everyone feels safe. Mm -hmm. One of the directions, like the vision for us is to build the main channel for collaboration in B2B sales between buyers and sellers, okay? And as I said earlier, like the, the holy grail for us is the focus on the buyer, where, where the buyer gets excited and the buyer really sees the value. So one of the things that we've recently built is a buyer interface, okay? So you as a seller, you're managing the deal in that new space. And that new space right now really simplifies it for the champion and the entire buying community because they can go in, Right, and they can see all the collateral. They can comment. They can ask questions. It's not a lot of threads. They can, you know, see everything in one place and make decisions. But then, you know, there are certain things that they also want to do on their side and not have you in the loop. Okay, talk about right negotiation. Talk about uh, looping people that maybe, you know, need to be looped only behind the scenes. So we're actually going to build also an option for buyers to sign up. Okay, log in and do that on top of that workspace and have their internal room, their internal side to ask questions, okay, internally, to manage tasks internally. And I think once we show that there is even more focus on the buyer coming from us, okay, that's going to bring them in. When they're in, then more sellers. So in effect, from a buyer's yeah. perspective, what you can do with this is create a partner community platform and 
I, I as the uh, the CEO or the CFO, could say, look, this is the direction I want to take my business. Come in, bring your partners, talk to me about how you'll help me to do this, and then we can work. And so you can plan it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Also, partners. When when you're saying partners, you mean channel partners. It could be strategic partners. um, It could be allies. It could be competitors. Often, two competing businesses could Mm -hmm. probably offer a better solution to a customer if only they'd work out how to play nicely with each other and share the spoils instead of trying to compete and do each other down. Because no one wins if they both piss the customer off. And the customer doesn't win well uh, mm-hmm. if only one of them wins and they have to make a bad compromise. Yeah. But why not just work together? And it's not like the technology isn't out there to make the, I mean, how, how can you manage joint payments, for example, through this system? Yeah. So just, just on the first thing on the competitors. So, you know, eventually we have, we have a customer that, you know, in order for us to achieve the vision, we need someone to pay us. And that customer is and will always be the, the seller. Okay, so the seller is paying us, and the seller is the one that we're motivated eventually to to make sure that we make this environment to help them. But we believe that the way to do that and the way to really disrupt the market and take it to where it needs to be, the focus needs to be very much about the buyer, but up to a point, right? Like if a seller uses a line in order to sell to a buyer, the buyer also can uh, open a buyer-facing interface with some internal notes, internal comments, if they wish, like throughout the sales process, like a competitor for a competitor to come in, that's for the buyer to now tell the competitor to open the line, right? So that's going to be a separate environment because, right, we need to be stay loyal to uh, the customer. So that's about that. So definitely, you know, a competitor could also open, but it needs to come from the buyer. It needs to be, it will be a separate environment and the buyer can use the same tool, the same environment, but they're going to be completely separated unless anyone thinks otherwise. Like it's there, it's going to be their choice. And partners, definitely, that's already happening today. You can work looping partners that can be collaborators in that workspace, working with you together as the vendor with the uh, buyer in that same space with internal notes between you and and your partners, for example. Okay. So uh, one of the things that sellers don't do especially well, and many vendors don't do particularly well, is really listen to their buyers, listening to how they're buying, how we find them, how they're uh, choosing to interact, what media they're using, which channels they use, who influence, you know, all these uh, kind of factors. In your experience, mm-hmm. how do you get that message across to the investors to allow the sales and the marketing function mm-hmm. to focus on the medium to long-term instead of just focusing on short-term? Because that short-term model worked for some in an environment where money was cheap and plentiful. Where money is expensive and scarce, you can't afford to do that anymore. So can you give me examples of where uh, you've used, uh, worked with your clients to help them drive greater value for the customer, the vendor, sorry, and help them win faster deals, bigger deals, expansion sales, you know, uh, you know selling more initially 
and doing a better job of um, making sure that it was sold well so that you didn't end up with buyer's remorse. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of one of our bigger customers, we have a few customers that are that have a few hundreds of uh, reps that are using a line. So one of them is was really, really, really heavy on education, content heavy in education, educational content, and from SMB to enterprise sales everywhere, okay, across that org. And they found that sellers were just was a mess. Sellers didn't know how to educate a customer throughout the sales process with all of that content and make sure that they follow uh, the guidelines throughout the process. They had a few steps that the customer needs to had to complete. So what we did, like initially we started with solving only the content problem and we organized everything in libraries with the right labels, with the right way for people to really define the right things based on the industry, so they were selling to multiple industries. So for each industry, the right labels, the right filters for sellers to know exactly what kind of things to use throughout the sales process. And secondly, to create the right templates for these workspaces. And with the right template and planning the template methodology, okay, we were able to improve the sales cycle length. Sellers were using really aligned to help buyers consume content, get the right content in the right steps of the process and in a much easier way, okay, than before. And, and really they saw that those profits are much faster than before. And so can we bring assets in? Uh, yeah. So it's a virtual meeting space and we can bring assets in, whiteboards, stickies, video, audio, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. You can embed, you can embed even the technologies. You can embed uh you know, all the demo experience platforms, you can embed like a live demo of your product inside. You can uh, embed a call recording, a spreadsheet, collaboration tools like Miro, uh, Smartsheets. Lovely. Yeah, 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 definitely. So all of your sales stack, tech stack should be embeddable within that space, digital space, including, of course, your decks, text sections, your proposal. Everything is there in one place. See, Dave, I wasn't mad. <laughs> okay. So tell me this. The human side of sales seems to have been gravely left behind in favor of this techno data heavy, measurable um, stuff. Talk to me about the quality of the relationships and specific examples. You know, you talked about the customer saying this is great, um, but I'm really curious about how it's helped um, bring the teams closer together on the buyer and the seller side, because they're working on the same problem. Because my experience is when you get lots of people working on the same problem together, it's a really powerful unifying experience, especially if it's a really difficult, chewy one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, one of the key challenges, right, is with how buyers perceive sellers. I think that improved a little bit throughout the years. Okay, definitely with everything being digital right now, a little bit. Okay. Um, well, the, the study I read about last week said that yeah. um, over 60, uh, I think it's 68% of buyers now want in enterprise want a seller-free buying experience. Ah, yeah. Okay, that's definitely. That, that's, that's not so good. That's a different thing. By the way, that we, it, it's a big part of uh, the research that led also to uh, what we do. 
I think that this is because another trend is, is taking place. They're all getting used to product-led growth. Okay, you, you get used to opening Slack, opening Zoom, opening Calendly, opening Miro, opening all of these tools like that, right? Quickly. And that's it. Like you're starting. It starts from the end users. So people like to get, I think they expect more and more and more hands-on to try for themselves, to learn for themselves, because there is a flood overload of information everywhere. Think about the amount of categories, right, that we have today in the market. Yeah. It, it's overwhelming. So yeah, they, they just want to go and, and try for themselves. So I think in that sense, definitely that has changed. And that's why they prefer buyer, buyer seller free experience, which we, by the way, align with, right? Because if you have one space, you look in the stakeholders and like someone built a mini site, it's not the website that you get lost in. It's a site with the exact things that you need then you can self-serve throughout an enterprise sales process and consume the right content. But putting that aside, okay, for a sec, just to answer the original question, I do think that a little bit, uh, there is a little bit of uh, improvement back that, you know, you can jump on calls and everyone are doing, and it's not like the field sales relationship selling today. Uh, Everything is more focused on value. I think there's a little bit of improvement, but still sellers are focused on closing and not on, on helping, okay? And and a lot of buyers, right, come into that call with, with that in their mind, okay? Who is that person? How are they focused? How, how is going to be, how are the interactions with them going to look like? And if they, you know, and they immediately come with that defense mechanism, um, the other side probably is just trying to close me, just trying to win me, okay? And they need to be convinced otherwise, Right. So having an environment where the environment sends a message of we're here to work, this place is for you. Okay. You have a place to position yourself to say this is for you to read, to comment, to have everything in one place. You can loop in your colleagues and I'm going to be helping you organize the, the buying. Okay. It already immediately positions the seller as someone that's here to help versus here to close. Okay, we're coming close to time now. I'm curious, how do you see the sales organization changing as we move forward? With uh, the downturn, shifts uh, in the global economy, we're seeing quite a lot of contraction. And Mm -hmm. we're also seeing a huge number of layoffs. In the last month or two, it's 200,000, something like that, in tech alone. It's a lot. And I think much of that is because companies have tried to scale, which meant growing beyond their capability to actually manage it. Because I think a lot of the managers have been pulled through because they were good producers. But Mm -hmm. the skills you need to be a good manager are the direct opposite of being a good producer. You have to be selfless instead of selfish. And you have to care about other people's success, not your own. The net result is that they've grown very, very quickly, mm-hmm. but there's a whole middle management layer that doesn't really have the runway or the experience or the maturity to help the next generations uh, through. I'm really curious how you use a platform like Aligned as a mechanism to apprentice the next generation of sellers um, so that they learn their craft. Because I, I think this, to, to my mind, this is a fantastic opportunity 
to give real exposure to junior sellers working on big deals because that's mm-hmm. going to be where they probably want to take their careers. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we're going to see in, in, in general is that, you know, the, the whole grow, grow, grow period, right, meant that we did a lot of shortcuts. Okay, we just, uh, I saw like Mark Roberge today, I uh, published something on how, how company go to market, go to market should adapt these days and how we grew before, right? We, th- there was the, let's hire everything, everyone in Q1 in order to triple this, this year versus hiring slowly throughout the year, measuring the right things and seeing and really knowing when to, to, to bring more people, right? So that's hard, right? One, one, both of them are hard. Both of them are difficult. But if you know how to measure properly and understand when to bring in more people and how to do it right and how to coach and train and build a machine, then later on when you want to pick up the pace again, we'll be able to run much better, okay, much faster and more accurate to be more effective with how we're running. So and I think that, that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. I'm very curious how you're using the environment uh, for debriefing um, because I think the planning side is crucial and most people don't do a very good job of that they don't do anywhere near enough practice and uh, rehearsal and then almost none of them do a proper debrief mm-hmm. so how do you use the platform in order to create a really powerful debriefing experience so you mm-hmm. capture the lessons and don't make the same mistakes yeah so one of the challenges that I've always had uh, managing teams is, and you know, I, I see and I hear this from everyone else, is that you want to just go and quickly look at what's what's going on in the deal. Okay, how did the deal look like? How was it executed? And you go into a typical CRM and it's expand, expand, expand. Okay, there was that email. Wait, but what what happened before? Ah, someone called. Okay, what happened before? So. What did the buyer answer? So if you want to go and kind of really have a quick overview of, of how the deal looked like so far and feel it, you need to do research. You need to go and dig into a CRM. And what these workspaces okay, allow you to do is to have, they don't only organize the experience for the buyer. Okay, and, and, and it's not only that, it's also for a manager that comes in and, want to, and wants to coach and want to have a quick debrief. You can see the deal, everything is in one place. Okay, so the comments and discussions that you had around commercials are under a, a proposal section, right? The, the discussion uh, that you had around a POC a criteria, okay, success criteria, scope of work, things like that are under these specific sections. And you can see who responded and who's involved in the deal, how many people entered the workspace. Okay, we have we have workspaces for some companies, some, some customers with 20 or 30 even stakeholders all in one workspace. Who they are, what are their titles? So a manager can in a second really understand the deal and how it was executed and coach based on that. This is really fascinating. I'd love to have a play within a training environment for what's it rehearsal because that could be really powerful. We should have a chat, another chat offline. Okay, tell me this. 
if you're engaging with a customer in this kind of environment and you're cooperating with them and you're co-developing um, the solution, what happens at the back end that surprised your customers? Mm-hmm. At the back end of the sale, what was different about their their experience? About uh, our customers? Our, our, yeah, your our customers. customers. Yeah. Not sure that I fully understand. Can you maybe? I'm well. I'm curious if you've been if you spent months working together on yeah. the customer's problem and you've been co-developing the solution. Presumably, there isn't a lot to negotiate at the end. And I'm curious whether or not you could can point to real life examples of where it's shortened the sales cycle, it's uh, eliminated the negotiation process because everything's already been agreed. It's documented as you go. Yeah. But to my mind, that's a really powerful way of building um, uh, the proposal and get the customer's fingerprints all over it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, there are so many examples of, uh, so, you know, first of all, there are a lot of companies that are trying to execute mutual action plans. Okay, as a methodology, which is, I don't remember who was it. I think, I don't remember if it's Challenger or... Someone did the research on that, improving 20%, the sales cycle length by 20%. Yeah. And to execute mutual action plans, there's a lot of methodology, right? How to do it right, but it's also where where are you putting it? Okay. And today it lives in Excel, maybe in a Google spreadsheet that's a little bit collaborative, but then it's detached from where you're selling. Okay. It sits in a different place. You're you expect the customer champion to go in and uh, comment once in a while and for you to make changes and for them to know that you've made these changes. Uh, so you need to tag them there in that spreadsheet and it's detached from where you're communicating. You're communicating over email. So, and, and they are forced to enter that collaborative uh, mutual action plan. So one of the things that we've helped is really uh, teams to implement mutual action plan with our purpose-built capability for that and really make it work across their sales teams because now the same place that the buyer goes into in order to view the deck to view the proposal is that same place where they can every time that they go in see where we are in the buying journey in the selling and buying a plan right what have we completed so far i can tag me as a me as a seller i can tag a customer on some next steps that they want to be reminded on in a certain dates they go and comment on certain steps, okay? And it really makes that work and really speed up uh, uh, the sales cycle. Definitely one of them. What advice would you give to sellers who are maybe unfamiliar with the concept of the buyer's journey, uh, but now we've been talking about it, it's opened their mind. Uh, How can they learn how to uh, map the buyer's journey and what level of patience do they need to have in order to get that information? Yeah, definitely. So I think that a lot of uh, a lot of sellers, you know, they try to do it uh, early, um, too early and to go too deep too early. You need to give, there's a give and get, right? So you need to go through some initial discovery and initial alignment across stakeholders that there is indeed a problem that you want to solve, a potential impact, and this could potentially fit into priority before you really dive into that. Okay, so how do we execute this together and help you make the decision and help you potentially implement a solution for your problem? 
So, you know, a lot of them ask the buying process questions early on and you should, you should ask them, but high level. But the moment that you really deep dive is, you know, after you've gone a few steps in the relationship. So that's one thing that I would say that's very important to get to that point in the relationship, just pass a few steps first. And I think secondly, it's about going into the customer's uh, problem and, and, and then and not and planning towards solving the problem. Okay, not about, okay, when do you want to close and what are steps for you to close? When are you going to sign? When are you going to buy? It's about, do you have any specific date where you want to have a solution up and running? Have you thought about a specific date? Or what's driving you know, the need so far? Is there any specific timeline that you want to aim for? And how does this fit into the priority? And then when you understand priority, when you have some certain time timeline defined, then it's much, much easier to think together how you plan towards it. And I think the third thing is to remember that they don't know. Most of them don't know. Okay, They don't know what's their buying journey. And it's changing throughout the buying journey. And they're just telling us answers because they feel uncomfortable. So keep validating, keep asking questions again and again throughout the sales process about the buying journey because it keeps changing. They don't know and suggest, okay, tell them if you have a good process, tell them this is how other companies have gone through the process. They, they did a POC, they looked IT at this point, they looked legal at that point and why that helped them buy fast and with minimal friction. And that's going to make it work. Okay. You've got a golden ticket and you can go back and whisper in the ear of the idiot gal age 23. What would you whisper in his ear that you know he'd have ignored, but would have been valuable? In general, in life, I, uh, I don't believe much in like looking back and saying, I wish I would have done this differently because, you know, that means that you're not happy where, where you are when you have that thought process, right? If you want to go back and change something, then... Because like if I would have changed something, maybe, maybe, you know, I wouldn't be where, where I am right now. And I'm happy with that. Uh, okay. Well, let me ask you a slightly different question then. Yeah. What was your best mistake? Uh, I think uh, not realizing that product-led growth is, is really the future of buying. Okay. Sooner. We've built our company as a product-led growth company, self-service, freemium. People can go and sign up for free for the product. I think that was uh, the best mistake. I should have done this uh, sooner and found uh, a role in that space sooner. Focused a lot on challenging myself with more senior roles in the direct sales motion that I'm familiar with. But it led, when we built a line, it led to thinking about that go-to-market motion first and seeing the amazing fit to our company. So who are you targeting for Aligned? Are you aiming for enterprise, mid-market, SME? So both enterprise, SME, and so sellers, right? Enterprise sellers, SME, uh, SMB sellers, all of them are, are relevant, but they need to have some complexity in the sales process. Either multiple steps, multiple stakeholders involved, or, or complexity around the content. Okay, a lot of content to share, a lot of education. These are the classic fit. We have, and, and in terms of target market, market size, we have the freemium model, as, as I said. So 
even very, very small companies, one AE, one salesperson type of organization or one CSM sign up for free. And we have uh, hundreds of companies uh, per month that are signing up to the platform. And a lot of them are buying self-serve in our direct motion uh, where we do what's called product that sales, then it's more mid-market and small enterprise. Okay. And how can people get hold of you? Go to our website. So, so first of all, People can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Gal Aga. Uh, feel free to do that. Our website is alignedup.com and you can go and sign up to the free platform and give it a try. Excellent. Gal, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. So it's Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please do like, comment, share, subscribe and get in touch. If you feel the urge, go over to one of uh, whichever your favorite podcast platform is. Give us an honest review. It can be horrible. Um, I'm fine with that. Just tell the truth. And if you're tired of feeling trapped in a sales career that's forcing you to sacrifice your integrity in order to meet your quota and meet your boss's expectations, and you really want to reclaim control of your life, have more meaning and purpose in your selling and protect your principles and values from the pressures and demands of the role, then drop me a line and we can have a chat about training and coaching. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.